We're going to be looking at the book of Luke chapter 10, which I believe is our text for the month. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to trust God that he will shed his light upon our hearts. Uh, The title of my message will be The Urgent Call to Action. The Urgent Call to Action. The Urgent Call to Action. Luke chapter 10, I start reading from verse 1. He said, after these things, the Lord appointed 70, other 70 also, and he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself will come. Therefore, he said to them, can we all read together the next, um, the next part of the verse? Let's go. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. So pray, ask the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The Lord Jesus Christ put a lot into this statement that we just read. There's a lot inside of it. And, you know, by God's grace, we're going to unpack a few of those things in the um, in the time that we have this morning. My real focus is on verse 2. The harvest is truly great, or the harvest is plentiful. Now, as you know, I told you, I came from Africa, and one of the things that, um, or one of the great industries of Africa is farming. Uh, lots of farmers. I grew up around, you know, farming. We would travel to our hometown. My grandfather had a farm. Um, and you will see when it's harvest time, how busy it is. Now, it's very busy when it's planting time. But harvest time is even much more busier than planting season. During harvest time, everybody in the house. So in Africa, this is the way it used to work. People will have a lot of kids. Now, not just because you know, they wanted to have kids. They, ha- they have a lot of kids because those kids will grow up to become, to start working in the farm. So a whole household will go out during harvest time. The wives, the kids, everybody doing one thing or the other to, get it, to bring the harvest in. And then if that labor is not enough, labor is also hired to, to join in bringing the harvest in. But it's a very busy time. And there's a reason why it's very busy and there's a sense of urgency. When it's harvest time, there's a sense of urgency that comes with it. Why? Because the harvest is not, I mean, there's a temporary season or a short period of time where the harvest is viable. If you go beyond that period, the harvest can get spoiled in the field. And the entire labor of many months of planting and of watering can go to waste because it was not harvested on time. So when it's harvest time, there's a lot of business, a lot of activities. People picking, people throwing stuff, packing, taking it into the barn, you know, to keep it, to preserve it. Everybody is very active. Now, woe to the farmer that has a lot of harvest. 
planted all through the seasons, watered all through the season, and now there's a lot of harvests, but does not have enough laborer to pick the harvest. Now, this farmer can start doing it by himself, right? Use some help that he has, but I mean, the, the sure thing is that despite everything that that farmer does, some of those harvests will go, you know, they'll go bad. They'll be wasted. So Jesus Christ was speaking, was speaking from that perspective. He was using an illustration that was agrarian. He was using farm terminology to talk about the harvest of souls that is out there. And this is what he started with. The fact that the harvest is plenty, is plentiful. There's a lot of harvest. In Sandwich, Illinois, the harvest is plentiful. In Chicago, the harvest is plentiful or a lot. Now, you go outside of the United States and go, go to Africa, go to Asia, Go to some of these missionaries, you know, that we were looking at and praying for. You go to all those places. You see the enormity of the harvest again. There's just a whole mass of humanity everywhere hurting, waiting. Some of them are children. Some of them are adults. Some of them have heard the gospel, but they never understood it. Some of them have never heard the gospel at all. They're all waiting there. It was estimated, I mean, very recently... Um, as you know, the population of the world is right now over 7 billion. Now, it was estimated that over 3 billion people have never heard the clear presentation of the gospel. And that there are so many unreached, the number of unreached people groups, that there are over 3 million, 3 million people among unreached people groups that have not heard the presentation of the gospel. Why some places have had it over and over and over and over. So it's a huge harvest. How dare. And Jesus Christ, there's a parallel parallel passage to Luke chapter 10. That's um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, you know, he went everywhere and then he saw he saw the multitude. He said, he saw them that they were scattered. They, they fainted. They had fallen. They were weak, like sheep having no shepherd. And that's when he made that statement again, that the harvest truly is plenty, but the laborers are few. So Jesus Christ was describing the, the harvest. First of all, it's a lot. So there's, a, there's, a, there's no scarcity. There are people waiting for the gospel. There are people waiting for us. There are people waiting to hear this gospel. There's some that are waiting to understand it all around us. So it's a lot. There's no scarcity. The second thing that Jesus says about the harvest is that these people waiting are suffering. That they are suffering. They are like sheep having no shepherd. They are leaderless. They are scattered. They are fallen. They are in despair. Now we know, we know as, as Christians, we go through things. But we have the Lord Jesus Christ to help us through. Isn't that true? We can come. We can pray. We can come to church. We can have fellowship. We can pray, you know, like we pray today. We can encourage one another. But you know that there are folks that have no one who will give them a word. 
a word that actually can help them in whatever they're going through. There are single mothers in Chicago City who have kids, and they don't even know what to do the next day. There are children born in single homes. They've never seen a dad because the dad is locked up in prison, and they're just walking around the street, and the only hope that they have is to join a gang because there they find identity just by being in a gang. So it's plenty. It's a lot of harvest. So there's a lot of work to be done. And when there's a lot of work to be done, what do you need? Workers. Isn't that true? When there is a lot of work to be done, there's a need for workers. So Jesus Christ described the situation, what is going on. He described the harvest. Then he goes on to talk about the problem. He said the the, the, the main problem right now is not the harvest. The main problem is that there are not enough people who are working. Now, notice that he didn't say there are not enough Christians, right? Jesus didn't say the harvest is plentiful, but the Christians are few. No, he didn't say that, right? He didn't say that the harvest is plentiful, but the churches are few. There are actually a lot of churches, right? Come to Chicago, on, almost on every street block, you know, I mean, every, on one street you will see several churches. So he didn't say there are not enough churches. He didn't say there are not enough Christians. He didn't say there are not enough pastors. He said there are not enough laborers or there are not enough workers. Now, he didn't say there are not enough people who could labor. It's just what he was saying was that there are not enough people whose hearts have been touched, whose hearts are tender enough, and who are willing enough to get into the harvest and actually start to reap. So what he was speaking about was more of a mobilization issue, right? Not availability issue. You get the difference, right? It was more of a mobilization issue. From traveling around, I mean, like I travel different places to Africa and all over the place. I've seen that. And you, you probably know it, that the organization or organism, as you as we'll call it, that has the most human resource in the world is the church. But the church is also the most underused, underutilized organization. Because we have come to some kind of <laughs> state where we have become very complacent, self-focused, that we do not even know what is going on outside of us. We don't know what is going on out there. So in the church, we come together and we focus on our needs, which is, it's okay. God, you know, God wants to help us with our needs. He wants to help us with the things we're going through. But God wants us to also have a focus that goes beyond the walls of our church, beyond our families, beyond our own circumstances and situation. God wants us to get to a point where we're thinking outside of our world and start thinking of people who are not in the bubble that we have created around ourselves. He wants us to think and go beyond our own needs. And then when we start to think... That's the beginning. And so it's so wonderful to see a church where, you know, you're constantly praying for missionaries and you're constantly hearing um, what is going on. Someone once said that if you want to know a powerful saint, a powerful saint is one that has the Bible in one hand, 
and then has a newspaper on the other hand. So as he reads the newspaper, he reads the Bible and begins to pray the Bible on what he sees in the newspaper. And that's, that's how. Said it, actually, this is the way he says it. He said the, 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 the devil is afraid of the saint that has the Bible in one hand and a newspaper on the other hand. So that's the kind of um, uh, Christians, believers, that Jesus Christ was speaking about, uh, was, was talking about here, that there was, there was a lack of laboring. There was a lack of laboring, not a lack of people. There are people, but there was a lack of laboring, you know, action not being taken. And then he proposed the solution, which is where I want to spend, you know, the balance of my time. He proposed the solution because I believe in going to the solution rather than just staying on the problem. He proposed the solution and he says, pray therefore or ask the Lord of the harvest that he will thrust forth laborers into his harvest. Now, you need to understand that that word thrust or send is a very forceful word in the original language. So, the word thrust there in the original language, which is Greek, is actually very forceful. The word means to cast or to force out or to forcefully eject. So, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to forcefully eject laborers into his harvest. That's what Jesus was saying. It was very forceful. You will see those, that word being used several times in the New Testament, talking about forceful ejection. Jesus Christ said he cast out devils. The word used here is the same word. There, he forcefully ejected them. So he's saying that we should pray for laborers to be forcefully ejected like he forcefully ejected demon, demons out of people. So this is a forceful thing. And he says prayer is the solution. Prayer is the solution. Prayer is the solution. And I'll say this way, prayer is the beginning. In a sense, like petition is the beginning of prayer. I'm going to talk a little bit about prayer, praying for the harvest, because prayer involves more than just petition. There's also action that is involved in prayer and yieldedness and submission that is involved in prayer. So he says, what we need to do, the harvest is plentiful. There's harvest all over. Harvest all over the world, in this city, in the, I mean, in the Chicago, the United States, outside. The harvest is plenty, but now it is those laborers who are mobilized and, uh, and they are motivated and they are actually acting and uh, uh, re- reaching out and talking. It is those people that are few. So to solve it, we need to multiply those who are in action. And it says the solution is going to be this, when you start to pray. When we start to pray, then the laborers will be will be multiplied. So what? So what? What? What is? I mean, what uh, prayer? What is prayer? What? What? What was Jesus talking about there when he was talking about prayer? While I was preparing for this um, um, for this uh, message, the this and 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 just praying, uh, this thing came to me um, just writing and just talking about prayer, like an acronym. I like to use acronyms um, a lot. Um, and the first one was like P of prayer. The acronym of prayer, P, is petition. Everyone say petition. So the beginning of praying or the beginning of action or laboring for the harvest, getting involved, 
in the harvest of the nation, it starts with prayer. And I'm very sure Dr. Fielder talked a lot about that when he came. Now, if you want to get, if you have a desire, because I know some people, some of these laborers that Jesus was talking about, they have a desire to actually get involved in the harvest, but they just don't know how to go about it. They just don't know how to go about it. How do I start? Now, this, what I'm about to talk uh, about will help you. Pray, petition. Start by praying for people that you know that are around you. Bringing petitions to God for their salvation. That starts with family members, friends, people you work with, people you go to school with, or somebody, some, somebody you just read about in the news. You read the newspaper or on TV, you just hear about some, something going on somewhere. Start the beginning of mobilizing yourself or becoming mobilized for the harvest is to start praying, to start offering up petitions to God. The salvation of souls or the bringing in of the harvest is a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual activity. It's not a natural activity. It is not just something that advertising or marketing can do. It's not just something that words can do. It takes words empowered by the Holy Spirit and acts empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we begin to pray, what happens is that we begin to soften, God begins to soften the hearts of people in preparation for the gospel. So if that's the, that's the only step you can take now, start by praying for those people that their names will come to your mind or people you know right now, children, friends, family members, somebody that you read about. Start praying. Start making petitions to God, asking the Lord to show them mercy, asking the Lord to open their eyes so that they can see the light of the glorious gospel. So we start by, by making petitions, making petitions to God. Now, what will happen to us when we begin to make petitions? When you start to pray concerning anybody or begin to start to pray concerning any issue, your heart begins to open up, right? The compassion of God begins to well up. In other words, when we start praying, that's why the Lord Jesus Christ said that was the solution. Because when we start to pray about anything, God starts to wake us up inside ourselves. We start waking up. We start seeing things differently. We start seeing things with the eyes of God rather than with, with just natural eyes. Our compassion our bowels of compassion becomes moved and we become more aware the more we pray. We start becoming more aware of what is going on. So let's start by making petitions to God. Let's start by, you know, by praying uh, for the weary, praying for the cities, praying for uh, people that are not usually um, that are not within our circle. Let's start praying for those within our circle too that, um, that need help. Now the second one, how? Repent of complacency or unwillingness. Repent of complacency or unwillingness. So as we begin to make petition and prayer for people, and the, the Holy Spirit begins to convict our hearts that, you know what, I've been complacent. I, 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 I'm one of those unactivated unacti- laborers. I'm one of those people sitting in the pews. I'm one of those ones that Jesus was talking about. And so we begin to repent before God for our complacency, our willingness. 
We tell him we've been, we've been focused on ourselves. We've been focused on our own needs. We've been locked in our own world. And we begin to turn around and change our minds and say, Lord, please open my heart. Open my heart. Let me begin to see. Break my heart with the things that break your own heart. Help me to begin to see, to feel your compassion. What you feel, how you see the world. Help me to begin to see the world the same way you see the world. As we start to repent before him, God begins, he continues further the work in us. And begins to, you know, you know, he begins to orchestrate things. You know, God is moving. God is the Lord of the harvest. He'll begin to orchestrate things. He'll start, he'll start meeting people. You'll start being in situations and circumstances that you just know that this is an opportunity for me to share the gospel. It will bring somebody to, somebody to your heart. It will bring a child to your heart. Or some news will just come and you'll hear about it. Um, I, you know, I'm reminded of the book of Nehemiah. You know the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, in a, was, you know, was one of those captives taken from Israel. Right, and there were some remnants. Anytime they come and they take captives, they will leave some remnant there because they don't want the land to become, you know, fallow. So they leave people there to be working the land to keep it. So they took some people captive. And Nehemiah was one of those fortunate ones because he was working in the palace. He was actually the, the you know, the cupbearer for the king. So he was pretty comfortable. He had a good job, so to say. He had a good house. Lived in a good place. But then there were those people left behind. Then one day, his brother came over and related to him. Talked to him about how the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. And the Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah, when he heard the news of the suffering of the people and how the walls of Jerusalem was broken down, that he began to weep. He began to weep. That's where prayer began, right? He got information. It was more like he heard it from the newspaper. His brother was like the newspaper. So Nehemiah got on his knees and began to pray. He was so sad praying that the king noticed that something was wrong. Why? What's going on with you? He was praying. He was praying about the people. He was praying about the land. But guess what happens? So in his prayer, if you check his prayer, you will see him also repenting. Go, you know, going before God, what we have done, what our fathers have done. So when you start to make petition based on what you see and what you hear, when you start to make petition, then God begins to touch your heart. And then repentance is followed by repentance, right? And then A, because of my time, let me move further. And then the, 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 the third thing here is as, so as we begin to repent and cultivate and all that, the awareness, that's A, the awareness of the field and the suffering of the people and of the solution that Christ has brought becomes more real to you. In other words, there's an increase in awareness as we begin to pray and repent. The Spirit begins to work to make it clearer to you. You start to understand it. You start to see it more. You be, sometimes you begin to feel what the people feel. The awareness increases. And then why? You begin to discover that you are one of the answers. And so you need to yield. You begin to discover that you are the answer. And that all you need to do now is to begin to yield. 
So we start with petition. Everybody say after me, say petition. <laughs> we repent of complacency and unwillingness. The awareness of the field and of the solution that Christ brought becomes more real to us. And then we need to yield knowing that we are part of the answers. So many times we're praying, when Jesus said pray that God will thrust our laborers into the harvest. Who is the first person that you think he will tell to go into the harvest? The one who is already praying about it, right? Or the one who is not praying? <laughs> In other words, when we start to pray, we've gone a step further. If, I mean, I'm not the Lord Jesus, but if I was the Lord Jesus, if somebody is coming, if you are any, let's say you are a CEO of a company, right? And you, you have a need, a human resource need. And there's somebody whose heart is already touched about that and is already talking about it. Right? And you know the person has the potential. What are you going to do? You are the one that's going to do the job, right? Or why don't you start it? So that's what usually happens. When we start to pray, then we'll discover that we are the answers to our own prayers. When a church starts to pray about its community, starts to pray about situation, suddenly the Spirit of God will just begin to witness in the hearts of people that they are the answers. They are the answers. They had the answer. So that's way, that's, that's, that's the, the why. So when you begin to, when you begin to do that, then you need to yield because God will not force us. We need to yield. Yield in what? Yield, and I'm, I'm rounding up right now. Yield in which areas? First of all, we need to yield when we're going about our normal duties and God brings somebody across our paths. Or you just begin, to, you just see, you see something that is out of your world, like Nehemiah, you know, heard from, you know, his brother. You need to yield to do, maybe share a word. Oh, somebody may say, what do I share? I don't know how to preach the gospel. I don't know what to do. Well, do you know that just telling the story of your life can lead to sharing the gospel? Isn't that true? I mean, I found that to be the easiest thing. If I'm sitting on the plane or I'm going somewhere, if I don't know what to say, I meet somebody and I don't know what to say about a person. I just start, introduce myself, and then we introduce, and then I say, I'm, I preach, but I didn't start by preaching. I was actually in the slum of so-so-so-and-so in Africa, and the Lord saved me. I was going to hell and all that, and this is what God has done. This is why I start to talk, and the person gets, oh, oh, this is what I do. In other words, when you tell your stories, you see Paul the Apostle many times when he's sharing the gospel, he's saying his story. He's talking about how Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. So it's not that hard. It's not that difficult. We start sharing our stories. And then yielding the next thing. So you start sharing your stories with people in your circle, people outside your circle. Secondly, you send those who God may have called to go beyond where you can go. Right? Like those missionaries that we're praying for. Not every one of us is called to be a missionary to the inner cities. Not everybody is called to be a missionary to Africa or to any one of those places. But there are some people that are called. 
But the, the last verse I'm going to read today, let's look at it. Romans chapter 10 quickly. Because it's so important. Romans chapter 10. Paul, Paul the apostle was, you know, showing us there the process through which people receive the gospel. Romans chapter 10. Starting from verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever means whosoever, right? There's a song that says whosoever means me, right? So whosoever means whosoever. Drug addict, gang member, Buddhist, Muslim. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But people don't just call. There, there is a process that leads to calling. So let's see the process. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So believing leads to what? Calling, right? Calling upon God. Isn't that true? We're trying to retrace it back. So believing leads to what? Calling. And then, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? So hearing leads to believing. Believing leads to what? To calling upon God. And calling upon God leads to what? Salvation, right? Leads to salvation. How shall they believe in whom they've not and how shall they believe in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without what? A preacher. So somebody needs to preach for them to hear, right? And then then they can believe. And then they can call, and then they can be saved. But then the next verse now says, How shall they preach except they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So they cannot preach except they are sent. And except they preach, they cannot hear. And except they hear, they cannot believe. And except they believe, they cannot call. And except they call, they cannot be saved. So the process starts by sending, right? By sending. So as a church or as a person, you're a mother, you're a father, you know, you are here. Your calling is primarily here, but you've been touched. You have become what you call a world-class Christian. You are thinking, you think beyond your wall. One of the things you can do is support a church like this that prays for missionaries. Is to set up a missions fund to sit with the family. What are we going to do to give you know towards that for this year? To you know to think of such missionaries and support them and to pray for them and to cover them in prayer. That's that's part of sending. And according to the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we send someone, you know, and also in the Old Testament, he said those who send, they are they are going to part alike. There's going to be equal rewards in heaven for those who went and those who stayed by the stuff. There's going to be what? Equal rewards. So we can get involved. We can yield in that way by supporting the church, which is the center for sending people to preach the gospel, by supporting missionaries, by you know, those who are actually laboring in the field, covering them in prayer and using our finances. We can be part of reaping the harvest. That's part of our laboring by, by, by supporting them. So those are ways that... Uh, that we can yield. And then finally, if the Lord speaks to you, and that's where I want to end, 
if the Lord, what I mean is that there are some people that might be here, young or old, that you are a potential missionary. You are a potential missionary. The church of Jesus Christ is constantly to be sending people out in there. I mean, out there. Church at Antioch, they were praying one time, and then they said, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Paul for the work that I have sent them. They had been doing some work before within the church, but the Lord was calling them to, a, to something else outside. There might be some people in this place, young or old, or maybe when you were younger, it was on your heart, or maybe now you are still young, that you are supposed to actually be on the third level. You are actually supposed to be going. You are supposed to be one of those goers. And usually... When such things begin to come, from stories of missionaries that I've heard, personal stories and all that, when such things begins to come, especially when it's outside of your wall, outside of your thinking, there's that reluctance that is there. Oh, what if I die? Oh, you say, I go to Nigeria where there's Boko Haram. I'm sure you've heard about Boko Haram, you know, and all that. You know, are you telling me to go there or you go, I go to Egypt where there's ISIS or something? And then you are scared. But it, is, it may not even be sending you to all those places. It might just be sending you to somewhere around there, or even just to Chicago, South Side, you know. <laughs> no Boko Haram there, you know, just <laughs> you know, send you there. But then, you know, there's that fear, and, you know, oh, I, I don't think so. And then we, we, we hold up. But today, what I would like to implore you, like Paul would say, to, you know, to just ask you is, why don't you yield yourself to God? Because if that is what is called you to do, if that is what is dropping in your heart right now, he has already made a provision. He has already planned how things are going to work. All he just needs is your own yieldedness. And say, I'm ready and I'm willing. We must be willing to go anywhere he wants us to go because we are part of the labor force for the harvest. Let me end by reading something that... um, Matthew Henry said, he said, I will think it greater happiness. I will think it greater happiness to gain one soul to Christ than mountains of silver and gold to myself. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. Good, he is above all things, his love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. Yeah, forever God is faithful, forever God is strong. His love endures forever For the life that's been reborn His love endures